My name is John Ray. I am one of the elders here at Grace Church. Incredibly excited. I need probably a little more caffeine. I've been up since two o'clock this morning. So excited about leaving today. Uh, taking the, the GSG kids out on our way. And welcome everybody who's here. Welcome everybody who's listening on the podcast as well. And you know, if you watch any episode of CSI or any procedural crime drama like that, it won't be long before the story involves a serial killer or a chronic thief. It's almost like in our cultural imagination, it's not, it's not bad enough just to do a bad thing once. It's like, to be really bad, it has to be chronic, right? Somebody who just can't help themselves, somebody who repeats that that crime, that evil, over and over and over again. We like our bad guys. We, we like our evil characters to perpetrate evil as a habit. And maybe, maybe that's because there's something there that we can identify with. I mean, we all have things in our lives that seem irresistible. We all have things in our lives that that no matter how much we intend to quit or stop or do differently, seem to come back. And while I hope, sincerely hope, there are no serial killers here uh, this morning, we are a room full of serial sinners. All of us are given over to habits and things ingrained in our lives. And this recognition rules us or, or at least haunts us. I mean, we're all prone to an unhealthy focus, either a complete refusal to acknowledge the sins and their effects, because, you know, there's two ways we kind of respond to that. We either say, I, I, I'm just not going to think about it. I'm going to refuse to deal with it. I'm going to entertain or addict or distract myself away from it. Or, on the other hand, we just dwell in it. That's all we think about. It, it becomes the ruling, guiding emotion or focus of our imagination. We sit often as serial sinners simmering in a toxic stew of shame and guilt and feeling helpless. So what do we do about that? I mean, it's not a 30-minute episode of a crime drama on TV. This is our life. What do we do? Well, I think Psalm 130 and the psalmist there offers us a different way to approach this. So pray with me as we look at the text this week. Jesus, you're good and you're good to us. And we're so grateful that you have not left us or abandoned us, forgotten us, and that you've removed our guilt and our shame, our punishment, self-inflicted and otherwise. And we look to your word this morning to enlighten us, to give us discernment, and to build that hope within us without which we cannot survive. And we ask this believing that it is happening, that the Holy Spirit is here and present in the name of Jesus. Amen. So as we look at this text, it's, it's important for us to remember that it's easy for us to think of ourselves as serial sinners. 
But how often do we think of God as a serial forgiver? How often or how much has our imagination developed around the idea that that God, is as deep as our sin is, as repetitive as our sin is, or may be, God is a repeat forgiver. He is a serial forgiver with that. And what, is that, what does that mean? How do we find it? What does watching and waiting have to do with this? And how does that prayer and worship affect our deliverance? Well, let's look at it. We're, we're studying the Psalms of Ascent. Um, we're, we're, this summer, we're looking at the songs that the people of Israel sang as they went up to the temple. And Psalm 130 was one of those psalms. It says, help God. The bottom has fallen out of my life. Another translation says, I have fallen into deep waters. I don't know about y'all, but I have felt that way at times in my life. He goes on, Master, hear my cry for help. Listen hard. Open your ears. Listen to my cries for mercy. If you, God, kept record of wrongdoings, who would stand a chance? As it turns out, forgiveness is your habit. That's why you're worshipped. I pray to God, my life a prayer, and wait for what he'll say and do. And, and if you've ever seen a, an Orthodox Jew pray at the Wailing Wall, it, they move with it. They wave with their prayer. As a matter of fact, in, in Orthodox Judaism, prayer is, is connected to the body. That it's a movement. It's not just a mental ascent, but it's a movement of the body. It's a, it's a putting of the habit. And, and you can feel that here. Now listen to these next lines. You can just, you can feel the movement. My life's on the line before God, my Lord, waiting, watching till morning. Waiting and watching till morning. Israel, wait and watch for God. With God's arrival comes love. With God's arrival comes generous redemption. No doubt about it. He'll redeem Israel, buy back Israel from captivity to sin. Alex has already alluded to it this morning as we sit in worship this morning and stand in worship with our new friends coming in, and as we, with excitement, send our children off, our friends off, and get ready to go ourselves, some of us, as we welcome people back from the Ukraine and different places, there's this coming, this going with that. I was sitting with someone this, this past week, and they said, I feel like writing a love, less, a love letter to Grace Church. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. And I want you to know that as you, as you study this week, and as exciting as this Sunday morning can be, it, it's, it's, it's easy to lose that as we go out. And that's why we create the learning guide. That's why Feli and the teaching team put so much into there. And I want you to think about that as a love letter. Think about that learning guide that you get every week as a love letter to you and to this church a way of understanding and proclaiming and 
experiencing the love that is here. As I said earlier, God is a serial forgiver. It is so easy for us to focus on our chronic sins, our failures, struggles. Often we even feel that God want, that, that that's what God wants us to do, right? As it's a way of keeping us from sinning more. It's like he, he wants us to remember our sin. He wants us to think about the bad things we've done. Listen, I can tell you that doesn't work. It never has and it, it never will. It may seem logical in the superficial or in the moment, but we become that which we focus on, the thing which we put our mind to and which we set before us constantly is the thing that forms us. Yes, we're aware of sin. Yes, we become aware of sin. And yes, and we've talked in this church a lot about repentance, about what that means, but we don't dwell there. That's not where we live. That's not what forms our imagination. Not our sin, not our shortcoming, not our shame. But instead, the goodness and beauty of God. God as a serial forgiver. As someone who is in the habit of overcoming those things. We are to accept and value something far more significant than our failures, and that is the goodness and forgiveness of God. And what do we think is more, more worthy of our attention anyway? Because it, in a way, even as bad as that is, and as much as we need to recognize our sin, don't, don't get me wrong, in no way am I suggesting that, that you just dismiss it, that it's a light or cursory thing. But when we make that the focus of our existence, we become the center. It becomes all about us. It becomes all about what we've done. It becomes all about what we're about. There is only one who is worthy of that place, and it ain't us. It is God. And so by focusing ourselves on the habitual forgiveness of God and seeing the redemption and the beauty of it before us, God is in God's rightful place. Now, how do we do that, right? I mean, he, the psalmist goes on, he says, wait and watch, wait and watch. Now, that's pretty easy if it's wait and watch Netflix, right? I mean, that's pretty easy if it's wait and distract yourself with whatever. And it's, it's really important here that we see these two things are together, these two things are put together, that this waiting involves also a watching. It involves a way of laying aside the distractions. It involves an intentional focus on that which we are longing and looking for. Although it is true that grace blindsides us at times, more often it is when we are looking 
for it. Now, again, make no mistake, this isn't easy. And in fact, I have found in my practice, and as I have read the experiences of many others, that intentional waiting and watching will often intensify the longing. It will ramp up the discomfort because we are letting go of those things that anesthetize us. We're letting go of those things that distract us. And those can become props. They can become ways of disguising what's going on. And when those disguises are done away with, when the numbness wears off, pain can come. Hurt can come. This is not this is not some formula for quick and easy. But it is real and it is true. And this waiting and watching, while at first may cause discomfort, may be scary. In the end, it produces, it's the only way that we see truth come into those places. We have to make room by waiting and watching. Now the next part, the next part of this is really challenging. All through, all through the Word, you see this constant reminder, hey, God knows your needs before you ask. God is looking out for you. Hey, God sees you. God knows the hairs on your hair. Head, God knows what's going to happen before. He knows what you're going to ask before you ask it. We get this picture of this attentive God, of this God who's like really interested in you looking at, okay, what does she need next? Where is she going to go? How is this going to happen? Like, what's going to happen next, right? And then you come to a psalm like this, and it's like, hey, God, over here, over here, listen up. Wait a minute. Which one is it? I mean, is God paying attention to me? Does he really know the hairs on my head? Does he really know what I'm going to ask before I ask? Or, or do I have to get my bullhorn out? Do I have to set off some firecrackers? Wave some flags in the air? Over here, God! Look, look, listen, open your ears! Yeah, yeah, you big guy! <laughs> Which one is it? Which one's the real God? And as we wrestled with this this week, this question, it occurred to me that the psalmist is, I think, getting at something in a roundabout way. Who is it that really needs reminded? Who in this psalm really needs reminded of God's faithfulness? Who is it in this psalm that really needs their ears opened? Who is it in this psalm who really needs to remember the goodness of God? I 
don't think it's God. Don't think it's God. But in the act, in the act of crying out to God, ultimately I think it's we ourselves who are reminded. In the act of listening, watching and waiting, it's, it's our ears that are open. God doesn't have a hearing problem. We often do. And so in this calling out, in this act of asking God to remember, crying out for God to remember, crying out for God to see, we start to understand that He hears. Eugene Peterson He said, to be a human is to be in trouble. Can I get an amen to that? Anybody feel that way? But to be a human is to be in trouble. And he goes on to say, he says, a Christian is a person who decides to face and live through trouble. A Christian is a person who decides to face and live through trouble. I might add that they're also one who do that as part of a community. And they call others into that community to do the same. It's in the depths that we find God is deeper still. It's when we face trouble and suffering as they are, then when we acknowledge the bottom has fallen out. We find that God is deeper still. It's when we call out for God to remember and hear that we ourselves remember and our own ears start to open. And when we watch and wait, we begin to realize that we have ceaselessly been waited for and watched for by God. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up as we transition into our time of communion. Um, We talk a lot about this table, and I mentioned it earlier, the respiration, the gathering to send out. It's not, it's not gluttony. We don't just sit here and just gorge ourselves. Neither do we just starve ourselves, expending all our energy out. We have to come to the table. We have to come to the table. We have to take. But then we also have to take that out. We have to go. So our communion, and is, is we're, our friends and our visitors and our guests are here, our communion table is open to everyone. Our communion table is open to everyone who is seeking that life of Jesus. And we don't dismiss by rows. We just, people come up as you're, as you're led during the worship and you take a cracker and you take the juice and you go and you eat and you participate in that respiration of life. Jesus alive at his table in us, we going out in Jesus' name with that. We also take up an offering here. We, we believe in sharing. You, you've, you're experiencing it in everything that we've said this morning and in this place where we meet. 
And we also take this time to reflect and pray. If you need someone to pray for you, if you want to pray for someone, then now is the time to do that during that time with that. And I want to encourage you this week, and this is in the learning guide as well, this, the, the outline for this. Take time this week to wait and to watch. There's, there's all kinds of tools and techniques and practices and models for this in various places. But take time to stop, to put aside the distractions, to listen, to wait, and watch. Remember and be remembered. Thank you for being here this morning.